Beyond the Burr Oaks, Chapter 5 Leading the way into the basement, where it was dark and damp, I stood still for a minute to get my eyes accustomed to the darkness. What I saw there astonished me so that I stood mute, looking about with bulging eyes. Instead of a little dinky still and a couple of barrels of mash, I was confronted with a 52-gallon still and a row of barrels filled with fermenting corn, rye, and sugar mash, which, as it worked, caused a crackling, boiling sound. The still resembled a large copper boiler with a cover that clamped tight. From the center of this cover, a pipe projected. This pipe, I afterward found out, is what they call black tim and is very delicate. The black tim pipe ran into the top of a 50-gallon barrel, where it coiled into a shape something like a corkscrew, coming out again at the bottom of the barrel. There was also a small gasoline engine to pump water over this coil, in the barrel, to condense the steam and form moonshine. The end of this coil, which projected from the bottom of the barrel, formed sort of an air spout and beneath this sat a jar to catch the raw material. So taken up was I in these strange surroundings that I did not hear Roy speak to me. "'Can't you hear?' he shouted. "'Come over here and I'll show you how everything goes, because I won't be around here much from now on, so you better pay attention to me now while I'm here.' "'All right. What do I learn first? "'Come over here and I'll show you,' he said." nodding his head toward the barrels of mash. These first two rows of barrels are for the corn whiskey, and be sure you don't mix any other kind in them. The corn is upstairs in that front room. Use one of them sacks to a barrel and fill the barrel with water. Dilute your yeast in warm water with ten pounds of sugar and add that to it. I'll write the recipes for the sugar moon and the rye liquor so you ain't forget them. Them last two rows are for the sugar liquor and the middle two rows for the rye liquor. Going over to the gasoline engine, he showed me how to start it running for the cooling system. Then came the still and how to keep it clean, which seemed the most essential of all. To operate it was simple enough, so there wasn't much to learn about that. Well, do you think you can remember everything now? he asked. I think so. I answered doubtfully. Well, if you don't, you can ask me. I'll be here once a day. Am I going to be here alone? I questioned wistfully. All except when I come to see how thing are going every day, and at night a gent will be here to haul away the moon you've made each day. All right, then. When do I start? Right now, he replied with an anxious look in his eyes. You had better throw some mash in the still and get a roaring fire under her. All right. I returned and picking up a granite pail, I began dipping the mash and pouring it into the still. When it was filled, I clamped the cover on tightly, then went about making the fire in the stone firebox which was under it. 
All the while, Roy stood watching me with interest. How many hours do I work? I asked, looking up at him. Night and day, if you wanna, was his curt response. But be sure you work, cause I can tell it you're sleeping or not. Don't worry about me sleeping, I retorted, cause I'm more anxious to get the money earned and get out of here than you are to have me make your moon. I'm glad of that, he declared, walking toward the steps. You're not going already, are you? Why not? he asked, glaring at me questioningly. Oh, I don't know. I, I guess it's because it's so darn spooky-like, I stammered. Aw, oh, heck, you'll get used to that, he encouraged me. Are you coming back tonight? No, I'm going to town today, and tomorrow morning I'm going to Lane's to give old Dave that money I promised you I would. Good, I exclaimed. Will you take a note to them also? Why, uh, he hesitated. I guess so. With trembling hands, I took a piece of paper and a pencil from my pocket, jotting down a few lines which read, Dear folks, don't be worried about me. I've gone away to get the money to pay old Jake, and will be back in a month or so. I'm sending the hundred dollars with Roy. With love, Ken. Folding the note, I handed it to Roy, saying, If they ask where I've gone, tell them I didn't say. All right. So long, then, till tomorrow, bade Roy as he ascended the steps. The sun had risen above the treetops when Roy left, making it a little more cheerful, even in the basement. Gathering all the scattered jugs, I lined them up next to the spout where the moonshine was to appear. I had never seen a still in operation so I had no idea how fast the liquor would run. I surmised that it would flow so fast that changing containers under the spout would be almost impossible. I was rather put out when a stream no larger than a pencil dribbled forth. At first I figured that something must be wrong, so I examined the whole system, but everything appeared to be all right. It was six o'clock that evening before I realized it. Twelve hours I had already worked, not even stopping for food, as the sour, musty smell had killed my appetite. It didn't seem as bad as I thought it was going to be, and those twelve hours had slipped by unnoticed. My only desire was to work as many hours as possible, so after lighting a lantern, I sauntered outside to the woodpile, where I split enough wood for the night and threw it in the basement. When I returned to the cabin, that terrible, sickening smell was even more noticeable after having been out in the fresh air. The dampness of the night air made the darkness more dense and ghostly. I felt as if I were locked in some desolate, haunted dungeon, with walls moldy from many years of neglect. The low, crackling sound of the fermenting mash and the roar of the still were like music to my ears, for silence would have been unbearable. Hanging the lantern up, I went about my work, scraping the settlings from the still and refilling it, then replenishing the fire and removing the full jug from under the spout, 
putting an empty one in its place. It was then that the time began to drag. If I could only have found more to do in order to kill the monotony. A pleasure it was when the still boiled down and I would go about dipping the sour mash to refill it, then go upstairs to grab a sack of ground corn and put it to soak in the barrel I had emptied. This done, I would walk around looking for something else to do. Before that, I had been conscious of what I did, but now, with mind a-wandering, my weary legs mechanically took me from wall to wall at an irksome pace. At last, after what seemed an endless night, some light came through the dingy window. My troubled mind and my weariness gradually drifted away with the darkness. By the time the sun was over the treetops, I was almost contented, but the thought of the coming night caused me to shiver. Thinking I was hungry, I prepared breakfast consisting of coffee, two fried eggs, and a slice of salt pork. As I sat down to eat, my appetite disappeared again. Jumping up in a rage and snatching the detestable food from the table, I flung it out the door. It was noon, and Roy had not showed up as he had promised. I began to get uneasy, and every now and then I would peer out the little basement window where I could see the trail across the clearing. My hopes kept dwindling as I imagined him being caught by the Federal men and locked up. I even felt creepy for fear they would be after me, which would be disastrous. I had never given this a thought before. And now, by adding this to my troubled mind, I became weak with fear. Running upstairs, I grabbed my coat and flung the door open, lunging out just as Roy popped out of the dense underbrush. I dragged my coat and dashed off across the clearing to meet him, as if he were a long-lost brother. "'My God, man, what's the matter?' he cried out in alarm. "'I—' I just can't stand it, I stammered sheepishly. It's so darn lonesome, and there is something kind of spooky about this business anyway. Ah, oh, forget it, Ken. You're just a little unstrung, that's all. You've been worrying a little too much, he encouraged, slapping me on the shoulder, then went on to say, I'll be here a little earlier from now on, and then you'll have a fellow who will be here every midnight to haul the stuff away, so it ought not to be so lonesome from now on. Were you down to see old Dave? I asked anxiously. You bet I was, and I never in my life seen an old codger so tickled as he was when I gave him that money. This brought me new life. My heart, which a minute ago was so dull and heavy, now bounded with joy. I laughed and talked freely as we sauntered into the cabin. "'Gee whiz!' exclaimed Roy in delight as we stood at the bottom of the basement steps. "'You're a regular wizard! Gosh, I never knew that Dern Still could turn out that much liquor in this short a time. I'll bet you worked like a slave all night!' "'Nah, I didn't have half enough to do,' I complained. "'The hours would go faster if I had another still to tend.' "'My gosh, man! 
he went on jovially. Do you want to flood the whole dern country with the stuff? No, not exactly, I returned. But I sure would like to have more to do, so the nights wouldn't be so long. Well, do you see that keg? he asked, making a gesture toward an object in the dark corner. I nodded. Any time you feel out of sorts in any way, just take a couple sips of that liquor, and I'll guarantee you'll get over your blues. It's aged in that charted keg, and it's fit for a king. Not for me, I said, shaking my head. Suit yourself, he mused, walking over to the keg and gulping down an extraordinarily large drink. That evening, when the sun cast its longest shadow, Roy threw his pack sack, containing two full jugs of the raw liquor I had made, over his shoulder and started off across the clearing. My eyes followed him till he was swallowed up by the gloom of the thick timber. Then my heart began to sink. The whole surroundings became more desolate and dreary than before. The stillness made me wish for the chatter of the pine squirrel or the call of anything from the wilderness to break the monotony of the silence. With head bowed, I made my way back to the basement, where I sat brooding until the still had boiled nearly dry. Refilling it with the detestable mash, I went back to the same disheartening thoughts which made the time more loathsome. It seemed as if I were working for a dollar a day instead of a dollar an hour. I thought of Roy's words about the keg in the corner. Repeatedly, I picked up the glass to try it, but each time I put it down, leaving the liquor untouched. Whenever my eyes wandered toward the keg, temptation grew stronger, until at last my willpower weakened and temptation triumphed. Snatching the medium-sized glass from the keg, I filled it, and with two large gulps I swallowed the strong, fiery liquid, which made me begin coughing and gasping for breath. The blood went surging through my veins, causing a tingling sensation. Within a short time, my mind seemed clearer. The grief that overburdened my heart was now diminished. Everything became brighter, and instead of grieving over my present sorrows, I roamed about, dreaming of my future happiness. Gee whiz! exclaimed Roy in delight, as we stood at the bottom of the basement steps. You're a regular wizard. Gosh, I never knew that dern still could turn out that much liquor in this short a time. 